So I truly hope that you've had a great Thanksgiving. I had a better Thanksgiving than I sound like that I had. Um, but for those of you for whom uh, maybe family relationships are a challenge and a difficulty and you are spending time with um, family, I pray that there were some breakthrough moments that um, were beautiful and wonderful. For those of you who miss there's someone in your family you miss when you hit the holidays. For whatever reason, they're not with you. I pray that you were able to celebrate their memory and um, to, to have some special moments uh, there as well. And for those of you for whom Thanksgiving is your favorite holiday, I hope that it met your expectations and your hopes this year. Uh, but it came late, and here we are. We find ourselves on the, um, the, at the beginning of Advent. We just crash right into to December. And this is a season of expectation and hope and waiting. And so we are starting a new sermon series um, called Looking for Light. Jesus himself said, I am the light of the world. So we're going to spend a little bit of time exploring this metaphor of Jesus as the light in the midst of our darkness. And in order to do that, before we can even really have the conversation about Jesus and light, we actually need to spend some time exploring and paying attention to the darkness that we find ourselves in to look around and better understand this darkness so we can better understand our need for the light, our need for Jesus. So we can better understand this world in which Jesus was born into. And so that's our starting point for today. Uh, we're going to use two scripture passages this morning to help us explore this. One is a lament psalm that basically describes the bleak circumstances they found themselves in and then their call out to God for help. And then we're going to have a little excerpt from the Gospel of John, a little teaching between, conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. He was the religious leader that kind of snuck in in the dark of night and came to seek Jesus' counsel. So I invite you to hear first these words from Psalm 80. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. You who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. O Lord, God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us the scorn of our neighbors. Our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. But let your hand be upon the one at your right hand, the one whom you made strong for yourself. Then we will never turn back from you. Give us life and we will call on your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Then John three nineteen through 20. This is the basis for judgment. The light came into the world and people loved darkness more than the light for their actions are evil. All who do wicked things hate the light and don't come to the light for fear that their actions will be exposed to the light. 
Friends, this is the word of God for all God's people. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Speak to us, Lord. Speak to us in the waiting, the watching, the hoping, the longing, the sorrow, the sighing, and the rejoicing. Show us your light in these dark Advent days and walk with us until the day of your coming. Amen. So English author H.G. Wells um, was famous for some old science fiction novels like Time Machine, The Invisible Man, and The War of the Worlds. That was a thing that played, it was played on the radio and people thought there was literally an invasion of Martians because it sounded like a real newscast. Um, but he also wrote this short story called The Country, Country for the Blind. And in this short story, um, he writes about this community that was in this very remote part of Ecuador and like luxurious, beautiful, beautiful place, but down in this ravine um, where people, you wouldn't um, know it was even there. And then a weird disease hit them and everybody in the community became blind. And like 15 generations later, everyone is blind. Until one day, this man literally fell into their community because he fell off the cliff. He managed to survive and stumbled into this blind community. He quickly realized he was the only one who could see. And he remembered the old adage that in the country of, in the, country of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. Um, and so he was trying to explain to them his ability to see and what they were missing and this thing about him that was different from them that they just, they couldn't understand. And people would even come and tend to him while he was healing and they would just listen and he would try and explain what it was like to see and they would, would pay, you know, just really, really listen, hear what he was saying, but they would walk away and think he was crazy and they didn't believe him. Well, he fell in love with a young woman there and so um, her father, Jakob, goes to see a doctor. And it's like, okay, what is the deal with this guy? And the doctor says, well, you know, I really think that um, we'll be able to help him. He is a little bit crazy, but I think there is a procedure that, that will help him. And the people are like, oh, really? Do you think this will make him sane? It's like, yes, I think what we need to do is to remove these um, um, uh, 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 obstacles. Um, and he was talking about his eyeballs. And uh, Jakob's like, okay, great. Thank heavens for science. And so they explained to the man that he can marry Jakob's daughter as long as he has the surgery to um, cause him to be permanently blind. So the day of his surgery, he goes out early that morning to this um, field of beautiful flowers and he's watching the sun rise. And as that sun rises and he looks up and he just sees all the splendor and beauty in that moment, he realizes that he, this, this, this valley of blindness, the, even the woman that he loves, that all of it, this community, all of it is a pit of sin. And in that moment of recognition, he walks up out of that valley that ravine and saves his life. And so in this story, um, we are reminded that uh, we um, all have this sense of living in this place of darkness. And in some ways it describes this country of the blind. Um, 
sometimes feels like it describes where we live today with uh, the sense of being proud of freedom and of technology and of health and being oblivious to the light that this can become a very deadly mindset. And Jesus had a word for this, by the way. Jesus had a word for the country of the blind. His word for for it was the world, the world. Um, Jesus uh, uh, Jesus said in the verse that I just read that um, even the... um, the, Even the people... Sorry. Verse 19, that even the people love darkness more than light because their actions were evil. And so it is into this country of the blind, it is into this place of darkness that God ends up sending his son Jesus. And it's even into this world that Jesus eventually even ends up sending the Holy Spirit, all in the hopes of helping all of us to look for the light. So one of the reasons that I'm grateful for this season of Advent is it is a reminder for us that we are in need, such great need, for God to do something bold in our midst. And the truth is that God boldly responded by sending Jesus. And I love the Christmas lights that start to go up every year. Um, Usually by the time I, not usually, but by the time I leave every day, it's dark now this time of year. So I love the Christmas lights that bring a little bit of cheer and warmth into our dark December. Did you know that there is a city in Austria that is called Rattenburg, and it, for almost four months out of the year, is in darkness. Um, And so it is uh, located by the side of Rat Mountain. And the way it's located when the sun is low in the sky from November to December, it has no direct sunlight. While you know, the sky will be daylight, no direct sunlight hits it. And so they literally live in the shadows, right? They are living in darkness. In some ways, we really are all living in the blindness or the darkness or the shadows. And Advent is our opportunity, like the psalmist, to call out for light, to call out for some assistance, to call out for help, to get us out of this valley of darkness or blindness. And I think Psalm 80 is a perfect place for us to look if we are trying to name the world of darkness that Jesus was born into. So while the psalm itself was written about 200 to 400 years before the time of Jesus, um, it, is, it does paint a familiar picture. It paints a familiar picture of struggle. And uh, it is referring to the exile. So it was either uh, right as the exile was beginning and people were being taken away from Israel and scattered across the east, or um, it was after they were already in ag- exile and they were longing for home. They were longing for home. And so um, one of the things I find so interesting in this text is that the voices are claiming two things. And by the way, it is a communal lament. So this is not the, the one voice of the psalmist in a place of wilderness. The psalmist is speaking on behalf of all of the people. And so the psalmist, uh, the voices are claiming two things. First, that God is absent in the midst of this dark and difficult situation that they live in. 
But secondly, they recognize and believe that God is part of the solution. And therefore, it is to God that they are calling out for help to restore them to Israel after being taken captive, to shine God's light on them and restore and revive them because only, only God can help them. So they beg for God to end their darkness by shining God's face on them so they will be saved. You see, this is, this is important. The tension in this psalm is that our lives depend on God's response, that only God can save us, that we will stay in perpetual darkness if God doesn't send the light. And sometimes I believe that we have lost this urgency in the 21st century. And this is why the words from Jesus in John's gospel (coughs) pierce through this darkness and truly help us to focus on this world. So it might have taken God a while to respond, but eventually God chose to send that light for us to follow, and the result was um, his name was Jesus. And the moment that God did that, though, the moment that God sent Jesus into the world, we then had a choice. We had a choice to make. John frames this as a very hard binary choice. We can either choose to believe or not. We can choose light or dark. We can choose to be saved or not. We can choose life or death. But once that light has entered into that darkness, there is no more darkness. Darkness has been penetrated, it has been invaded, and then we can choose to move towards the light. So here was my wonderment this week. Why do so many of us actually choose the darkness? Why aren't we like the moth that flocks to that light in the summer night? As I was thinking about this, I assumed that, well, I'm one of those people that loves and chooses to be in God's light. And then I remembered our garage door light. So our garage door, um, when it opens and closes, a light comes on automatically. Except in about August of this year, it went out. Well, that wasn't a big deal because it was usually light whenever I was coming home. And so I could make my way to the door just fine. And I park on the uh, far away, not far away, but Greg's closer to the door than I am. Well, as the season progressed and then especially when daylight savings hit, it was dark. And I found myself stumbling through the dark. And there are some very sharp objects, by the way, in our garage that I was having to dodge, like things you do stuff in the yard with, and Greg's car that I would bump into at least once a week with my knee. And I did this day after day after day. Finally, last weekend, last weekend, I get the ladder and the light bulb. I go up. What I thought was going to be a convoluted process, in less than five minutes, we had light. Why? Why? Why did I stumble in the darkness for nearly three months? Why? Probably, well, there's some answers to that I'm sure some of you could provide. Maybe though because it was easier to deny the problem or the solution seemed overwhelming or because deep down, maybe I'm more comfortable with the dark than I care to admit. Maybe, maybe even prefer the dark. 
So there's this website, as I was continuing to think about this, I discovered this web website called The Experience Project. I don't know when it started, but it stopped in 2016, and now it's only read-only. But for years, they would pose a question, and people could just write in their responses about all kinds of stuff, like what does loneliness feel like, or who do you want to spend time with? Well, one of the questions, or actually it was a statement that they posed. They said, I prefer darkness over light, and then let people respond. So one woman went by the screen name Beyond Repair, and here was her, her offering. I prefer darkness over light. The darkness allows me to hide who I am and what I truly feel. In the light, all things have a chance to be revealed. Darkness makes it easier to hide. The darkness is a place where you can lose yourself. Lost in the dark is a great place to be because then you are free from what you were and can be what you want. The darkness is bliss. Wow, she's pretty honest. Maybe there's something in there you can resonate with. Darkness can be attractive, it is easier, we can hide. We don't have to adjust our eyes to the light, we don't have to keep the light burning, whatever said light is. Some people will figure out how to profit from the dark. And others just don't want the light to shine on their darkness and reveal the truth. I'm not sure people realize that they're scared of the light. We talk about being scared of the dark, but theologically speaking, I think there are people who are scared of the light. We're gonna talk about the light more in coming weeks and what to do with it. But right now, as we continue to sit in our darkness, I don't want anyone, anyone, to be afraid of the light. Here's what I want you to hear this morning. God's grace covers every bit of the darkness within us that we don't want the light to shine on. As we mature as Christians, we begin to understand the power of grace working in our lives. And when we understand, when we truly understand God's power of grace, we become less and less afraid of the light. Why? Why is that? Because we learn that grace covers our shadow side, grace covers all the dark places within ourselves, and that God's love for us is so much bigger than the darkest truth that we are trying to hide or the secrets that we try and keep in the shadows. There is nothing, y'all, there is nothing that God's light can shine on that would cause God to take that light away from us. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because it is really important. In fact, it's so important that our church is going to work on over the next year this deepening this sense of maturity and this sense of understanding God's grace by focusing on discipleship here at Boone UMC. We have great plans and great possibilities for how our church community in 2020 can truly begin to become transformed disciples by maturing in our understanding of grace and certainly in our practice of following the light. But one of the reasons that during the season of Advent we light so many candles is that the lighting of the candle reminds us of 
God's desire to help us overcome the power of darkness, the power of sin in our lives. That Christ is the light which scripture tells us. This world we live in cannot, cannot overcome. So come, Lord Jesus, because we need you. We need you because we are awfully tired of sitting here in the dark.